Good morning. It's good to see each each of you here today. Really been looking forward to this time of worship on Easter morning, and so glad that you're here with us today. I'd like to begin by reading our passage of Scripture. We've come in our study of Luke. We've been studying Luke for some time, the last six weeks, and we come to Luke 24. I'd like to read the account of the resurrection, as well as the account of Jesus' conversation with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Beginning Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's word. <clears throat> Alistair McIntyre tells a story that I've modified a bit for us today, and here it is. Let's say that you came in here this morning and you found a seat, you sat down, and a couple minutes later, a woman comes and sits beside you, and she says to you, the scientific name of the Harlequin duck is Histrionicus Histrionicus. And you're a smart person and you understand those words, but you have no idea why she would say that to you. And you can't really understand it unless you understand the, the larger story. And so there's a lot of options. It may be that she mistakenly thought you were the person who approached her in the library yesterday and said, hey, can you tell me the scientific name of the Harlequin duck? And so she's just delivering what you want to know. Or it could be she's a foreign spy and she thought you were the contact, and that's the secret sentence. And she says the sentence, and she's wanting to know if you, you will give the right response. Or it could be that she's in therapy to try to address her extreme shyness, and her therapist has given her this assignment. I want you to go talk to a total stranger. What do I say? Just say anything. And so that's where she, she comes in and decides that's what she wants to tell you, right? Brilliant. The point is that without a story, things just don't make sense. Without a story, things just don't make sense. And that's actually true of our lives when you think about it. If you don't really understand your own story, you, don't really, you can't really make any sense of why you are who you are, why you say the things you do, why you do the things that you do. Most of us, sometimes in our lives, we get to the point where we, we become very reflective and we think about the family in which we grew up. We think about our um, successes and our failures. We think about our dreams and our aspirations, whether they've been fulfilled or whether they've crumbled to the ground. We think about the, the things that we've suffered, the, the pains that we have experienced. And generally speaking, the better you know your story, the, the, the more you make sense of your life, for better, for worse. And so that's true on an individual level, but in a larger sense, really a deeper sense, unless we understand the story that everybody in every generation everywhere is living in, we really can't make sense of the entirety of our lives. At some point in our lives, we, we get to the place where we ask questions like, actually, why am I actually here? How did we get here? What's, what's the whole purpose of life? 
And sometimes we, we wonder, why is there so much suffering and pain in the world? Why is there so much evil in the world? This, these horrific things that we see year after year after year, century after century. And if we're very perceptive, we even ask the question, why is there so much good in the world? Why is there so much beauty in the world? Have you ever been stunned by a sunset? Why is there so much good in people? Where did this compassion that I feel for people come from? All this compassion I've received, where did it come from? And so, and, and then you wonder, ultimately, what will happen to me when I die? And as you know, there are many competing stories, many narratives that try to explain all of these things, the big story of history, the big story of why we're here and where we're going. And of course, some people say there is no story. We, we come into this world, who knows why, we live our lives, we do the best we can, we die, and poof, it's all over. Well, today's passage reveals in a rather fascinating way that not only that there is a story, there is a large story, a large narrative that's actually true, and it tells us that the death and resurrection of Jesus is at the very heart of the story in which every single one of us is living. Actually, everybody everywhere and every generation is living. So we're going to listen in on this conversation I read earlier between Jesus and these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had left Jerusalem. They were sad. They were disheartened because Jesus had been crucified. And uh, the story that Jesus tells them is the story that he tells us. And be encouraged because if we understand this story, we can make sense of our lives. If we really understand this story and accept this story, it will change the, the, the path of our lives forever. So we begin in Luke 24, verse 13. We're, ver we're introduced to these two disciples of Jesus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. Understandably, they were talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and the fact that the tomb was found empty earlier that day. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The clear implication here is that God is the one that kept them from recognizing him. And we're going to see that God wanted to do a deep work in their hearts. Before they could see, they needed to hear. Before their eyes were opened, God wanted to open their hearts to this big story in which they were living and then the truth about what, what had happened the weekend before in Jerusalem. And the way Jesus engages these two disciples is somewhat humorous. He's not letting them in on who he is or, or what he knows. And so he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, who was, past tense, a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. 
And so they spoke the truth. They had seen the miracles he had done. They had heard the way he had teached, uh, he had taught. He is a mighty, mighty prophet of God. And then they describe his death and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then they talked about how their, their hopes had been dashed. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these, th- these things happened. As we read earlier, as Luke made very clear, nobody expected Jesus to be resurrected from the dead. Uh, they didn't expect a resurrection because they did not expect him to be crucified. That, that just didn't fit in with their understanding of the Messiah. We saw earlier that the women, they went to the, they went to the, uh, hello, they went to the uh, tomb, not expecting a resurrection. They took spices to embalm his body for his, his final burial. And now it was the third day, so they were going home. But there was a glimmer of hope, verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then speaking of Peter, they said, uh, Cleopas said, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Him they did not. One commentator pointed out the irony. And so here's Cleopas. He is, he's looking right at Jesus and not seeing him. And he reports, these women were at the tomb, but him they did not see. And so this would have been the perfect time for him to, to open their eyes. It would have been, they would have been amazed. They would have been just shocked and uh, would have been quite a moment. And they would have also been a little bit embarrassed that they were informing him how he was the least informed person in all of Jerusalem about what had happened to him. But that was not God's timing. You know, they, they needed to understand some things before their eyes were opened. God wanted to do this deeper things, deeper thing. Uh, before they could see Jesus, they needed to hear Jesus. Faith has content. They needed to understand the significance of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. If their eyes had been opened at that point, it might have short-circuited this, this process. And so notice in verse 25 and 26 how Jesus confronts them with their unbelief and their spiritual dullness. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He expected them. These, these disciples, they were Jews. They were steeped in the scriptures. He expected them to, to understand and believe what had been said by the prophets. Verse 26, was it not necessary, this wasn't optional, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? If they missed the necessity of that, their eyes were open and they missed the necessity of that, they would have just totally missed the significance of the past three days. And so what does he do? He explains how his death and his resurrection were at the center of the story of the Bible. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them 
in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Moses and the prophets, that's kind of code, it's kind of shorthand for the entire Hebrew scripture, what we would, would call the Old Testament. And so Jesus walked them through the Old Testament and he explained how he himself was the fulfillment of everything found there. And so to give a little context, I want to talk for just a few minutes about the drama of Scripture, the, the story of the whole Bible, and then I think we'll see more, more clearly how the death and resurrection of Jesus is right at the center of that story. <clears throat> so one way to, to summarize the plot or the storyline of the Bible is by talking about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, one at a time. So creation, God created everything. He created everything good. And that's why there's so much beauty in the world. It reflects the glory of God, reflects his creation. And the crown of creation was humanity. God created the man and the woman in his image. It's as if God says, you wanna know what I'm like? You, you have other gods, they have these little statues. You wanna know what I'm like? Look at my people, look at humanity. They will show you, they are created in my image. And that's why, why humans have so much dignity. That's why there is, is so, we have this, this great capacity for good. It's because we're imagers of God. We bear his image. But then came the fall. The man and the woman sinned. They chose to disobey God instead of trusting God. And their sin introduced everything that is evil and painful in this world. Pride, greed, hatred, violence, deception, on and on and on. From then on, every single human would sin by nature. You probably notice this. You don't have to teach a kid how to be selfish. It's natural. We sin by nature and by choice. A few years ago, I was driving across town with a friend. <clears throat> we, were, we were waxing eloquent on world topics. And uh, his question was, Steve, do you have any ideas why, why the world doesn't seem to be getting any better? And I said, well, this is the preacher answer, but sin, okay? We are all sinful, and it comes out in these horrendous ways sometimes. Creation, fall, but then God in his mer mercy, he set in, in place, he set in motion a plan to redeem all things, to redeem humanity, and eventually to make all things new. And th this is where Jesus would have interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And honestly, there are hundreds of scriptures we could go to, so we don't really know. But, but maybe he talked about how the, the Messiah was the descendant of Abraham through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. Maybe he talked about how he was the descendant of David who would sit on his throne eternally. I think it's very likely Jesus talked them through Isaiah 53. Other New Testament, uh, New Testament writers would, would certainly do that spoke about the Messiah as the suffering servant. He was not only going to be a king, he was also going to be a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You think of a better description of what happened on the cross. Our iniquity, our sin was laid on Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wanted them to know, he wants us to know that everything that he had experienced the past three days had been planned by God long, long ago. And so Jesus wasn't just some, some tragic figure whose life was stolen from him. His life wasn't taken from him. He laid down his life to pay for our sins. And then he was raised bodily from the dead as vindication of everything he had said, everything he had done. And if he's going to reign forever, he had to be alive. And so he had to, to be raised from the dead before he entered his glory. And eventually, creation, fall, redemption, eventually he would bring about the restoration of all things. There would be a new heaven and a new earth, and it would be inhabited by everybody who wants to be there. If you want to be in God's kingdom, if you want him to be your king and reign over you, then you're invited into that kingdom. And so these two disciples needed to know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus are at the very heart of the redemption and restoration of all things. And Luke is very masterful in the way that, that uh, he describes what happened when they got close to the village, Emmaus. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him, with them. And so apparently they were so deeply moved that the thought of Jesus leaving, they, they just had to have more time with him. And so they, they invited him in. Jesus came into their, their um, house to stay the night. But notice in verse 30, it's a striking thing. Even though Jesus was a guest in their house, what he does is what the host does. Verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to him. And so he took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave it to him, to them. Two other times in the Gospel of Luke, that same pattern is found. It was found in chapter 9 when Jesus fed the 5,000. It was found just, just three days earlier when Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples. And uh, these two disciples were not there. They were not part of the original 12. But perhaps they had heard what had happened. But this is what we read. on the, it's, We call it the Last Supper, the Passover meal in Luke twenty-two nineteen, And he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And then he reinterpreted the bread. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we read in Luke 24 that Jesus went into the, the disciples' house, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. It's a clear signal. It's a clear signal that it was his body that was broken for them. 
verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. At that moment, it all clicked and they realized that Jesus' body was also raised from the dead. And what's fascinating is that Luke doesn't emphasize how amazed they were that Jesus vanished. Certainly they were amazed. But what he, what he, he talks about is how their minds drifted, drifted back to what they had heard on the road when Jesus was opening the scriptures to them. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. When Jesus was walking them through how the death and resurrection of the Christ was at the, the center of God's, God's story for all of humanity, something deep was stirring within them. Their, their, their hearts were burning in a sense. And one of the things that was stirring in them was faith. Paul would later say that faith comes by hearing actually hearing the word of God. And they were hearing God's word, God's truth, this revelation that we can never figure out, but that's just been given to us. And it was stirring up faith in their hearts. And they realized after their eyes were, their eyes were open to recognize Jesus only after they had heard that the Messiah was going to die on the cross, pay for their sins, and be raised up on the third day. And the scriptures have been having the same effect in the lives of people all down through the centuries. And this should be a powerful encouragement to all of us. I don't know if you've ever had the thought, you know, I wish I were there to see the risen Christ. I wish I could see him. If I would only see him risen from the dead, I would believe and I would never doubt again. Have you ever thought that? I have. Well, would, would that be the case? Well, maybe, maybe not. But that experience is not accessible to us. But what is accessible to us is the same scripture and the New Testament that was, uh, that was available to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We have the scriptures that can stir our hearts, that can open our eyes, and to show us the significance, show us the grand story of all history. And then we can make sense of our own lives. We see that these two disciples, they did what people normally do when something amazingly fantastic happens to them. They, they went and told other people. Verse 33, and they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were, were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Next week, we're going to look at the last uh, passage in Luke. And uh, when Jesus talks to this larger group of disciples, he's going to appear there. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, he's again going to explain how his death and resurrection was at the heart of all of history. He's again going to open eyes, open minds, and again, he's going to use food in the process. Well, we started this message by talking about how without a story, our lives just don't make sense. And uh, after considering today's passage, I hope that you agree with me 
that with a story, our lives do make sense. And so I want to walk back through quickly the, the drama of Scripture and point out a few things. Think about this with me. Creation. Not only has God created the world, but God has created you. What David said in Psalm 139 of himself is true of you. You were formed in your mother's womb. You were created in the image of God. You are an imager of God. Creation, fall. Your sin is no surprise to God. It really isn't. God is not surprised at all the things that fill you with guilt and shame, the things that you just regret from years and years ago. God understands. Uh, redemption. God has provided a way of redemption. God loved you so much that he designed a plan for your sins to be paid for at great cost to himself. Your sins fell on Jesus Christ on the cross. He so loved the world, including you, that he gave his unique son to die for you, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. You may have thought that you're too far gone, that you've done too many things. God would never want you. Not the case. God sent his son Jesus with his eyes wide open, fully knowing your sin. This is how you enter into God's story. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then restoration. If you receive God's uh, redemption, you will one day be part of the restoration of all things. Every part of you will be transformed, including your body. Whatever happened to Jesus, if you're in him, will happen to you. And so as he was raised bodily from the dead, you will one day be raised bodily from the dead in a body that is uniquely suited to live in the new heaven and the new earth. And you will live with God eternally. And so in light of all of this, let me suggest two things. We've only scratched the surface of God's story. Therefore, let me suggest two things. Number one, immerse yourself in Scripture. We've only scratched the surface. The better you understand Scripture, the more sense you'll be able to make of your life. The more you'll be able to understand the desires you have, the frustrations you have, what to do when everything falls apart, where to go when everything is great. Maybe you've heard it said that the Scriptures are like an ocean. It's shallow enough for a, a toddler to wade out into, but it is so deep you will never reach the depths. You will never get bored. You will, you will always be fascinated with the scriptures. And that's been my experience. Immerse yourselves in the scriptures. The second thing is immerse yourself in scripture in community. In other words, don't go it alone. That is not God's plan. You know, here at Faith, uh, we, we try to make the Scripture at the heart of everything we do. We teach it on Sunday morning. We encourage you to go to the Scriptures privately throughout the week. We have groups where we, we talk about the Scripture. We discuss the Scripture. And this is the way it gets into the, every fiber of our being. It's, it's not meant to be like the sprig of parsley on the side of the garnish on the side of the plate. The Scripture's meant to be the entree 
the main thing that informs how we think about ourselves, how we live our lives. And so if you are not part of a church, we would welcome, we would love for you to, to, to become part of this scripture and become a disciple along with us. The good news is, is there are many good churches in our community that teach the Bible and would have the same vision for your life. But please know that you're, you're welcome here. But our desire is that every one of us would be lifelong, eternal disciples, learners, apprentices of Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing, this amazing account. Thank you that the risen Christ wants to uh, burn within our hearts and open our eyes and teach us where, we, where our place is in your story. We pray, God, that we might each uh, become disciples and put our faith in Christ and learn of him. God, we pray that you would fill our lives with meaning. We pray that as we walk, as we grow, that we would see more and more who you are and therefore who we can be and how we should be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.